Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. Hey there, rare ones. Welcome back to series eight as we continue to explore the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. And it's me, Joanne, here with another episode. So this is episode 175. Now, before we get into episode 175, I think we should recap because we've we've been going through Puerto Rico for some time now. So we started with episode 170, uh, Tech for Everyday People with Fabian. Uh, then we went into episode 171, Building an App for Book Lovers with Lindsay. Uh, episode 172, Investing in Yourself to Add Value to Your Business with Perla. Episode 173, building a platform for the Latin American 60 million um, market in the United States with Alan 174, encouraging entrepreneurship on the island with Gustavo. And now today we're going to learn about venture capital in Puerto Rico with Jennifer P. Hop. So just a little bit about Jennifer without giving too much away, because I do want you to listen into the podcast. Um, we're really lucky to have had Jennifer on to engage with us, share with us, and give us her insights, because she's a very, I mean, everyone's busy, but she's a really busy lady. And um, Jennifer has a really dynamic story. She uh, has been you know, building businesses for a very long time, sole businesses, serial entrepreneur, investor, uh, influencer, everything. You know, Jennifer has done it. Um, more importantly, you can find out more about Jennifer uh, via Instagram. She has a very, very, very active um, Instagram feed with lots of interesting things, so much that I think uh, you guys in the community can, community rather can benefit from and learn from. So I do encourage you to visit her Instagram. And you can find her Instagram. Her handle is, it's, it's Instagram.com, okay, hop dot vc that's her actual um handle and then of course if you want lear to learn more about her vc firm you can visit the website atoventures.com and i hope you enjoy listening in uh because it was a great conversation and as always until uh the end bye for now Greetings, Jennifer, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, it's such a pleasure to have you on. So, Jennifer, before we begin, can you please start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Who is Jennifer? Sure. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as, as far as you'd like us to know. <laughs> Jennifer has, has changed a little bit over, over time, but right. I think for your listeners, the thing that's probably most important is that I've 
pretty much been an entrepreneur and investor my entire life and started working even as a as a kid trying to start companies and things and that sort of has been in my blood forever and then in college is when I started learning how to invest um, I needed to put myself through school and I had transferred from UC Berkeley to Oxford University and um, could not work as a U.S. citizen in the U.K. So that's how I just started, uh, started learning to invest. I took my uh, all the money I had saved and my tuition money and my grants, and my loans, and I stuck it in the stock market. So I started wow. trading in college to pay my way through. So that's sort of by my background in terms of um, entrepreneurship and investing. I've been, been working my whole life since I was a kid and just really it's been a part of me. And then um, after college, I went into litigation consulting where I was doing expert witness testimony for um, commercial damages, mostly with software and hardware companies. So that's where I got into the tech scene, but also because I had earned money in the stock market as a college student, I then became um, an LP, which is a limited partner and investor in a tech fund. So Mm. I lived in Silicon Valley at the time and the internet was taking off. And so you're kind of a product of your environment. I had extra money that I had earned in the stock market and um, didn't know what to do with it. Was it a party? And someone was talking about this new thing called venture capital and these technology funds and the internet. And I literally was like, oh, buddy. Oh, mm -hmm. put it in the fund. Like, I just like 22 years old, you don't have a lot of fears and it was an right. exciting time. So that's um, my background in terms of um, entrepreneurship and investing and how I got started. Nice. So you just put all your money in, in stock. Did you, did you know what you were doing or did you just kind of learned as you went along? Did you read oh, books? Well, I was nine, no, I was 19 years old. I thought I knew everything, right? So. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing, but um, I was studying economics at Oxford um, in mm. school, I was fortunate to have had a great public school education in Washington State and my classes happened to be ones where they taught us economics and even as early as like the first and second grade I remember um, you know, we'd go into class and in the morning we'd pick out stocks and we'd chart them on the wall. And so I'd had experience pretending with the stock market, mm -hmm. but I had never put money into it. And I just, I remember I walked into Schwab literally two days before I left the United States and put all my money, kind of like, like a little kid who empties their pockets with yeah. all them and laid it out on the table and, and, and said, I want to put all of this into, um, into an account yeah. that I can manage. And they, they opened the account and I, and off I went. Nice. So it's, you said you're originally from Washington, but then you went to school in California. Is that correct? Yep. So I grew okay. up in Washington state and then mm. I went to UC Berkeley and then I stayed in the Bay area for the, you know, for 25, 26 years until moving to Puerto Rico with the exception of this, the, you know, of the break at Oxford University during undergrad. So right. I've lived in the, the Bay Area, which is now all referred to as, as Silicon Valley. It sort of expanded from the, <laughs> from the tiny area on the peninsulas. Then it became San Francisco. Now it's the Bay Area. Everyone just says Silicon Valley. But yeah, the, the San Francisco Bay Area is where I spent most of my adult life. Okay, so then what led you to Puerto Rico? 
Yeah, so that's an interesting story. I had not mm -hmm. thought anything about Puerto Rico. I knew nothing about it at all. In 2016, um, I had just sold my software company. So when I went back to business school, I um, went back because I wanted to get back to entrepreneurship. And I started a software company, mm. ran that for about seven years and sold it. And I had just sold it in 2016. A friend of mine was in the Parallel 18 Accelerator program in Puerto Rico. And I had no idea um, that the program even existed. But since I just sold my company, I was doing a little bit of traveling. He had asked if I wanted to come down. And I said, sure. But then I started to feel guilty. Right? I've been like, paying taxes since I was 10 years old. I've always worked. And so I was mm. like, I can't just go running around the world. So I called him back and asked, you know, does um, the program that you mentioned you're in, do they have a demo day? I figured, you know, the whole, the whole reason I sold my company is because I wanted to do investing full time. I really was enjoying working with um, startups as an angel investor and advisor, and I wanted to do that full time. So I was like, well, I could turn this into a work trip. And that's exactly what happened. So he put me in touch with the people that run the program at Parallel 18. And after they did some background research on me, um, <laughs> they asked if I wanted to just come down and work with the startups for a while. And, mm. and so I went down for a week and that's all I did for the week. I didn't, I famously never even stepped foot on the beach the entire time I was there. I literally Ooh, was just at the hotel and at the accelerator and having the best time. I just, I just was so impressed with the startups yeah. and had so much fun working with them and, and just enjoyed the people so much that um, that was the start. So then I kept coming back. That was generation one. And I came back for generation two and three and four and five and then quickly became a mentor with the program and got very involved with the community and started finding every excuse I possibly could to go <laughs> to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And within a year, I decided to move. So that's that's how it all began. And you eventually got to the beach. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Eventually, but it, it, it took a couple of times before I like I literally would go and I'd be in these meetings and these events and speaking engagements and meeting with startups. And I like I wasn't missing it at all. Like I lit I would see the beach. <laughs> yeah. but I really didn't I didn't go into I don't even remember when I finally um, went into the water. And then I was, of course, loving it because it's so warm and I'm a swimmer. So, yeah. Um, so I definitely, I enjoy the water, but I enjoy startups more. <laughs> so what was so special about the startups in Puerto Rico? You said you just, you just loved it. What was it that you loved so much? You know, it's interesting because I have, of course, worked with a lot of startups through, yeah. I'm a mentor at UC Berkeley and their Haas School of Business. And I'm a mentor with a bunch of different programs in the Bay Area, or at least I was at the time. And so I've, I've done all of these demo days and I've done the pitch competitions and I've been around it for a long time. Um, what was different was they had the same level of drive and intelligence and, um, you know, uh, ingenuity and, and all of these things that you see with the startups um, in the Bay Area, but they have that culture is is different and yeah. the um, the attitude is different. And I just, it's so hard to explain. But a lot of what I really enjoyed about Puerto Rico was less about the startups themselves being different and more about the culture of the environment. And one of the things that you, you, if you follow me on 
on social media. Um, one of my mottos is hustle, don't grind. Mm. And it comes from the fact that in the Bay Area in particular, right, in Silicon Valley, um, we're really taught that if you want it bad enough, you will kill yourself to get it, right? Mm -hmm. Almost literally. And that, yeah. that hustle and hustle and grind, hustle and grind. If you're not, if you're not working through the night, if you're not giving up um, your entire life, if you're not really pushing, if you're not doing 16 hour days, then you must not want it bad enough. And that's what it takes to make it. And I really go against that because I feel like if it's that much of a struggle, then you're probably in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And so my philosophy is hustle, don't grind. In other words, you, you have to hustle, you have to work hard, you have to put in the time and the effort. But if it becomes a grind, if it becomes painful, it becomes miserable, then you're doing something wrong. Then you're not in the right space. You're, you don't have enough people working for you. You're not managing properly. Something is not right. Sure, there are all-nighters every once in a while, but but if you're doing that consistently, then you're you're doing something wrong. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that I noticed in Puerto Rico is there's a lot more people who understand innately that hustle, don't grind mentality. So when you get into the startup scene there, yes, people are working hard. Yes, they're working late hours. Yes, they're driven. But they also um, will take time to um, see their families or go to church or surf or, you know, yeah. <laughs> like this. There, there is, um, I don't a like life. the term life, <laughs> life balance because yeah, well, I, and, and it's, it's an interesting distinction because I, I think it all blurs together, but it is about um, understanding um, what thing, what things are important. And you see that in the culture too. People always think, oh, in Latin America, it's really slow. It's island time, this, that, and the other. And it's yeah. not, it's not really, it's people are flexible. Meaning if you're running late, nobody freaks out like the world right. is going to end. Right, but that right. doesn't mean people don't try to get there on time, right? Exactly. Um, yes, yes. Mm. So it's just a different view of the world. Yeah, and obviously that resonated with you. So that's why you're still there. One of the reasons at least why you're still there. Exactly. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Hop VC and, and your work and what you do there and the different startups that you focus on, et cetera. Yeah, so Hop VC is actually really just a personal brand. And we came up with that because um, my my all of my social media used to be Jennifer P. Hop. And so the story behind that is Jennifer is just such a common name that even the Jennifer Hop, there's a ton of them. So we threw the P in there and then and then it was confusing people because it was too long. So we just shortened it to hop.vc. So hop.vc is really just my personal brand and it's um, something that that I just do social media. But the company, the fund that I started, the venture capital fund is, is called ATO Ventures and that stands for Against the Odds. So that's where I do all my my business stuff is through ATO Ventures, and it's just an early stage venture capital fund. We invest in technology companies in health, fitness, wellness, and digital media and entertainment. We like mm -hmm. to go in pre-launch as the first invested capital, the first institutional investment. Mm -hmm. And um, we help startups identify those first customers and prove out their go-to-market strategy through a process we call market validation testing. So okay. that's that's what I do. I do venture capital. I do some angel investing um, right. as well, just on the personal side, um, but that's solely focused on Puerto Rico. The ATO Ventures Fund will invest anywhere, but the goal is to bring technologies to Puerto Rico um, okay. to incubate and grow. Great. And then your brand hop VC, that's where you do a lot of like uh, coaching for startups, right? Because I noticed you do yeah. a lot of that in your Instagram. 
as well. Yeah, so so that, that just sort of came um, just sort of spontaneously, I guess is the best okay. way. It just sort of grew organically. So as people start to ask me to do more speaking engagements, more coaching, more mentoring, it all just kind of falls under this personal umbrella of VC because I don't do it through the fund. Through the fund, it's just investing in technology companies. Okay, got it. So can you give us an overview of the Puerto Rico startup scene? Like, just generally, for some, for, for those of us that don't know anything about Puerto Rico and the types of startups that are there, tell us just a little bit of what's happening. Yeah, I think the one thing to remember is that the startup scene in Puerto Rico is really new. So it's got a unique advantage because it's both US and LATAM. So it puts us in a, a super um, position to bridge the Americas is the way I like to put it. So for any startup that is in the United States but wants to break into LATAM and vice versa, Puerto Rico is a perfect place. But the startup community there is relatively young compared to other places in the United States, right? So I would mm -hmm. say it's it people have been working on it for decades, of course, to build to lay the foundations. And but we saw the first sparks in about 2012. Um, really things started picking up in 2016. So we're only really on our fifth year of building the community. But to tell you um, just how things have grown, like when I started in 2016, there was only one accelerator program and maybe one um, co-working space. Now we've got you know, dozens and dozens of programs of incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces, they're all being filled and it's just growing phenomenally. The yeah. universities are doing an incredible job of, of teaching entrepreneurship. Um, whereas before, you know, the culture was kind of like you started a company if you couldn't find a job anywhere else. And it wasn't necessarily um, high tech type of jobs. It was more focused on independent mom and pop, what we would call mom and pop maybe size size businesses, small businesses. And okay. now it's just totally different and changing. Um, so there, I would say that the scene is robust, it's mm -hmm. growing, it's vibrant, um, it's especially growing in San Juan and Mayaguez, and now Ponce is making some big moves, so those are the big metro areas, but mm -hmm. I think what you're going to start to see is more programs, including um, me through the Hopped Up BC, we're launching a, pro this actually, this is an exclusive, we haven't told anyone this, we'll be ah. launching a program called Valid Startup, where we're reaching out into the other parts of the island to help um, educate and give people the opportunity to start companies. Um, Brilliant. And so there, there will, you will see uh, more activity in entrepreneurship across the island as time goes on. Right. So you mentioned that uh, Puerto Rico is relatively young and new as a market um, in terms of the United States, but how is it positioned uh, when compared to the rest of Latin America? Yes, yeah, so to be fair, I don't, I'm still learning a lot about LATAM and the different markets that are growing there. So the, the, the countries I know the most about are, are Mexico, Colombia, and Chile. And so I'll kind of put it in that framework. Um, and even in terms of those countries, we are new, we're very new. So as I mentioned, we're just sort of in our fifth year, whereas in Mexico, they've really been focused on building their tech scenes, especially in like Monterrey, 
um, for the last 10 to 15 years. Um, Colombia, I'm not sure how long, maybe not, not that long, and, mm. but Chile is even ahead of us by a few years because we, we even uh, modeled our accelerator program after Startup Chile, right? So yeah. um, we're brand new. But where I think we have the advantage and why we may end up leapfrogging some of these um, more established areas is simply because of the fact that we have the access to the US and mm. funds like mine and others that are starting to come from Silicon Valley to Puerto Rico are bringing a lot of the knowledge and not only the knowledge, but also the connections and the network. So if you look at just even my fund, about half of the investors are Silicon Valley and half are brand new from Puerto Rico. So we've got longtime investors, including billionaires who have made all of their fortune in, in venture capital and having a ton of knowledge now working side by side through um, funds like mine with brand new first time technology investors. And so that cross pollinization that's going to happen um, in Puerto Rico, I think will advance the ball very quickly in terms mm -hmm. of what we've seen in the startup world there. And that kind of cross pollinization, I think is, is good for the ecosystem, right? for Puerto Rico generally. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the access to capital has been the thing that's the hardest for startups um, that are coming up in, through the Puerto Rico systems um, because we just we just don't have venture capital, right? So yeah. we don't have venture capitalists, we don't have angel investors, and it's um, people that, you know, it's not that there's no money in Puerto Rico. There's a lot of people with, with money in Puerto Rico, but they're not used to this type of investing. They're doing real estate or they're doing mm -hmm. um, cash flow investments. They aren't doing venture capital because there hasn't been a startup scene, right? So it's all new. Um, yeah. But but I have in my fund um, eight local investors who um, you know for whom this is their very first time investing in a fund. But yeah. you know, kudos to them; they really took the leap and and are trying to learn and spread the word about this this new um, way of supporting entrepreneurship on the island. And of course, and not just for Puerto Rico, but for many emerging markets, as yeah. you know, like yeah, exactly. um, entrepreneurship is the way forward. And that's that's the next thing I was going to ask you, that this is definitely an emerging market characteristic where you find that there aren't angels and there isn't a lot of in um, investment going into entrepreneurs. Not that there's no money, but like you said, very wealthy people just don't invest in that. They're investing in commodities or like real estate or they're putting their money out of the country, right? So how did you how did you get these investors to invest or like generally how in these kinds of markets, how do you get these very wealthy people to invest in entrepreneurs in such a new area? Yeah, so one of the key things is uh, people forming groups. And this was an, an angel group that, that had formed the largest local angel group in Puerto Rico. It's called the Aurora Angel Network. And I'm, I'm a member of that group. Um, it's mostly locals, but then you have one or two people like me who, who, <laughs> who yeah. moved to the island and, and now, and now like to think of ourselves as local, but we're still earning, <laughs> we're earning our, stri we're earning our stripes. So, yeah. um, but uh, if it, within an emerging market, if you can find people who are interested in it and form a group where they can learn together, such as an angel network or some other type of investment group, I think that that's really key because that's where you start to get um, 
you know, kind of safety in numbers. A lot of times people don't want to make the leap or make these investments because they don't know what they're doing. And mm. it's a new, it's a new experience. But if you can form a group and then have um, a couple of leaders that have done it before, who either come from the Valley or come from a world where they've done a lot of venture, um, then people start to, to trust in the, the leaders who have the experience and then they yeah. can lean on each other. And so it's just getting them to stick a toe in the water, right? So even small investments. Okay. Um, but I, I think uh, forming a group is key. And then once you have a few success stories and you get the momentum going, I guess that will then lead more wealthy people to start investing as well. Of course, success breeds success, but it yeah. does. You do have to have what, you know, in business we call referenceable customers, right? Okay. So I have big names on my cap table from mm. Silicon Valley that nobody in Puerto Rico knows and they don't care about. So it's not mm. until I get a local investor that they know and respect on board that they're going to care, right? So right. you really have to think about who your investors are. And this goes for startups too. Think about who you want your investors to be and then think about who they look up to and respect. And it may not be the same people that you think of. For, and that that I just gave is a good example, right? Nobody in Puerto Rico cares about the Silicon Valley investors because they don't yeah. know them. <laughs> they don't know right? them, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's simply put, they don't know them. Interesting, okay. So the companies in your portfolio, how do you work with them? Yes, yeah, so I mentioned that we go in super early stage. We like to right. go in pre-launch because, which is very unusual for a venture capital fund. Most venture capital funds want you to have traction and revenue and have proved out your model and, and kind of know everything. We, we go in, um, you could call us pre-seed, which is actually a growing field. It's sort of partway between angel and venture um, in terms of traditional venture seed funding. So we'd like to go in before launch because that's where most of the mistakes are made. So we've all heard that 70% of these companies after seed funding still fail, right? Before seed mm -hmm. funding is like 95, 98, you know, crazy numbers of startups that fail. But even after they have seed funding, a large percentage of them fail. And most often that's due to, um, you know, lack of product market fit, which is something you know, we kind of throw that term around, but really it means that something about their go-to-market strategy was not right. Either the target customer was wrong, the price was wrong, the design was wrong, right? the channel was wrong, something was wrong. So what we like to do is we go in right before launch and we work very hard with the company to do what we call market validation testing. So we pay for that test um, and we're taking their go-to-market strategy and really honing in to make sure that there are paying customers. And so we'll tweak the pricing, we'll tweak the design, we'll tweak everything. And we wanna do it before they actually go to market. They, the happy path is at the end of that, we've optimized um, the go-to-market strategy. We understand who the customers are, how to reach them. There's a huge market, they have revenue. And then in that case, then we put in another quarter of a million dollars to actually go to market. Okay. And so we're really working closely with the startups at the beginning to capture those first customers and prove out the model before going to market. Right. And what are some of the challenges that startups generally face in Puerto Rico, whether those in your portfolio or not? Well, 
I think the challenges are the same in Puerto Rico as they are anywhere. Um, I think people have have like like to. I mean, the first thing everyone always says is access to capital, access to capital. But I was on a panel recently, and one of the investors said that's no longer an excuse. And I and I do understand what he's saying in that there is capital available anywhere in the world to anyone that's got something worth investing in. It's a matter of if they're getting in front of the investors and mm. they're being heard. So those are the challenges and those exist worldwide. And we've also seen a lot of that, of course, being discussed in the last year, um, yeah. it being especially difficult for people of, of, of certain races, depending on what country you're in and, and gender issues and, and all yeah. kinds of things that make access to capital challenging. So yeah. I don't know if I would agree with him that that's no longer quote unquote an excuse. It is still a, hurdle for sure. And it's yeah. um, as much of a hurdle in Puerto Rico as it is anywhere else in the world. And maybe more so just because there is less capital that is changing, but there are fewer people to talk to. Now, one thing that the pandemic did do is it made it more acceptable to pitch online, right? Mm. So now for the first time in my knowledge and history and experience, it is now acceptable to pitch to investors on Zoom, right? <laughs> and wow. that's never been the way, even for us, yeah. when I was raising capital for the first you know, seven months of the pandemic, no one would take a meeting. My investors, my LPs that I was pitching to wouldn't take a meeting because they were like, oh, we'll just wait for this thing to blow over, right? Everything is done in person in the investment world. Um, and then finally, toward the end of the year, they're like, okay, never mind, we're going to have to do Zooms <laughs> because it's just not mm -hmm. getting better. Um, so then people started taking meetings now, and then they started getting comfortable with it. So one thing that has happened, and I don't know, I haven't really talked to the entrepreneurs, but this is would go for anyone listening, is that you really need to be taking advantage of the fact that now more than ever, you do have access to investors um, outside of your locality. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. investors now are interested and willing to do Zoom meetings and finding that it's actually kind of convenient. So if mm. you can get introductions to investors um, anywhere in the world that might be interested, this is the key. Make sure they're interested and um, in what you're you're building, then I would definitely spend time doing that. Yeah. And I know you've been in Puerto Rico for a long time, so you've seen a lot of the growth and the changes and the evolution and whatnot. So what is the investing startup investing scene going to look like, say, in five years, 10 years? Um, you even? know, yeah. So I'm thinking of this as a 10 to 15 year project, but I really see Puerto Rico as becoming um, an innovation hub. There's just no reason why it cannot be. I don't like to say the next Silicon Valley because we don't want to be Silicon Valley. We don't want to be Austin. We don't want to be a Boston. We want to be ourselves. Yes, and there are a lot yes. of things that are make us different culturally that we want to embrace. But being a technology hub for sure. Um, and, you know, I really see it as being a place where every entrepreneur just wants to be. Because of because of all kinds of things, right? So we have all of the the um, talent, and at that point, the capital and the resources, and yet we're still on a tropical island. It's beautiful and um, amazing weather, and delicious food, and and rich culture, and um, mm. it's just it's just an incredible place to be, where you get that that Latin culture is just um, so vibrant. Yeah, and it's 
and US, it's a US Commonwealth. So that's an advantage too. Puerto Rico is definitely in a unique position. So that's a Absolutely. good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So final question for you. What are the yeah. things that people who are listening to this podcast should know? It's kind of like whether it's talking to an investor or answering investor questions, just like any kind of general interaction. It could just be simple things, you know? Sure. So I think the number one thing when talking with investors is um, people underestimate the amount of time it takes to fundraise. They also underestimate the relationship aspect because um, all entrepreneurs do, and if they don't, should believe that their product is the next big thing and that every investor if they're smart, will want to be a part of it. Now that's your job to believe that. So that's good if you do. But what you have to understand is that as investors, we see so many things. We get hundreds of entrepreneurs who are just as convinced, you know, convinced um, about their product as you are every week. And so we have to have methods and, and systems for getting through those bigger, bigger investors and bigger funds will have a team. And so one thing is never be never be upset if you're asked to talk to an analyst rather than the general partner that mm. is you treat treat them with an incredible amount of respect because they are your gateway to investment and mm. it's not that the general partner doesn't believe in you and doesn't think that you're the next opportunity or or doesn't have respect for you they just literally do not have like they just don't have the time. So if you got a mm. meeting with the analyst, that's a huge sign because they won't even give up their analyst, yeah. right? Because they want their analyst, their analysts are doing research and everything else. So if you got a meeting with the analyst, that's a good sign. For us, we do a lot of things through forms. So when you go to ATO Ventures, um, definitely fill out the form and don't take that as a knock on you or that we're pushing you aside. That's actually the fastest way to get on my calendar is to fill out the submit form. Um, but even before approaching an investor for a meeting, know what they invest in, right? So people will ask me all the time, do you invest in this and that? And, I've, and I'm like, well, they clearly didn't go to the website. If you just go mm -hmm. to atoventures.com, it is very clear what our model is, what our stage is, what our check size is, what industries we're in. And nearly every venture capital fund will be the same. And Free Angel Network will be the same. They will tell you. So if you can't even go to the website, then that's a huge mm. sign to the, to the investor. So do your homework, go to the website, um, make sure that they invest in your area. Um, a lot of people don't understand that the, the investment funds in particular, not so much with angels, angels have more leeway, although if they're, they're doing a family office, they might have mandates. But if you're pitching to a fund, they have strict rules about what they can and cannot invest in, everything mm. from industry to check size. Now, some of them will say they're industry agnostic, and that's fine, but, but a lot of the funds, when they say, oh, we don't invest in fintech, like they don't invest in fintech. Like you can't convince them because they have a mandate that says they can't invest in fintech, right? right. So, um, so you have to really make sure that what you're building matches your investor before you take the time. It's just a waste of your time, let alone theirs. Um, so that would be the, the something. Um, another thing is building the relationship way ahead of the time when you think you're going to need money. So if you're just starting out now. I would make a list of my dream investors, people I like, want to work with, and mm. I would follow them on Instagram, follow them, maybe not connect to them on LinkedIn because you don't, haven't met them yet, but follow them on LinkedIn, follow them on Twitter, 
um, read their blogs if they write one, listen to their podcasts if they have one, and mm. just start learning and understanding more about them. And then after you know doing that for a few months, just start to comment, start to reach out, maybe send them some helpful information. Hey, I know you're doing some research about this because I heard it on your podcast and I came across this article. I thought you might find it interesting. Like just start really building a relationship with the people that you think might be interested in your product, um, both as an investor or a mentor or anything, rather than I literally get people that I haven't ever talked to before in my life will will email me and say, you know, oh, will you be my mentor? I'm like, what is your name? <laughs> um, and and, it, and it's it's flattering. It's nice. But it's um it's just it, you got to You've got to put in the time and the effort to network and build those relationships. So those are my biggest my biggest points. Know your investor and build the relationship. Okay, so just a quick recap. Don't underestimate that the investors have very little time. So if they send you to their analysts, don't take it personal, don't be offended. That's a good thing. The analyst is your gateway to the investor, right? Um, fill out the paperwork, etc. I think you said no, um, do your homework. So know what they invest in, go to their website, understand what they do. Um, know the rules when speaking to funds. And then the last one, like you said, was build relationships. Relationships are key. Start following them, understanding what they do, etc. And don't random randomly email an investor and say you're looking for a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, but, but um, you know, but it's um, it's better. It's always better if you've built a relationship. So it's interesting because people know for me that the, the best way to contact me is on Instagram. So yeah, it's the only social media sure. platform, and. It, that I'm super active, active on there. You're super, super active <laughs> on the IG. I follow you on IG. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's the only place where I'm active. Um, and it's much faster to contact me through IG DM than it is email. And so, yeah. um, and a lot of times investors will tell you as well as other people, right? It's not just investors on, on especially on their LinkedIn, the best way to contact them. And I would say, listen to that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, don't, don't be like, oh, well, IG is so informal. I'm going to send her an email instead, because in my case, I won't see the email. I promise you, I will not see the email. Yeah. Um, and so when I tell you to, to send it on IG, that's not me telling you to, you know, push you off. Like, like literally the only place I see messages. And of course, the spammy stuff just gets goes to, I don't see that either. But if you have a genuine question, like, or, um, you know, interest, then definitely IM me on, uh, DM me on Insta. Well, everybody's after the money. So there you go. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Those were really helpful tips. And that's all, folks. Jennifer, it was really, really a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for giving me your time. I know how busy you are. So it was a real treat to be able to share your insights with my audience. So thanks again for coming on and, and giving us your tips and insights into Puerto Rico. Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful. Very much so. Okay, folks, until next time. Bye for now. We've arrived at the end. I hope you enjoyed listening in to this week's podcast episode. If so, welcome to the family. You are officially a rare one. As a rare one, I need you to do three things. The first thing is visit the website regularly at www rarebirdshq.com to make sure that you're not missing out on any of the new fresh content that's being added on a regular basis. 
The second thing I need you to do once you're on the website page is scroll down, this is on the home page, to opt in to receive our weekly email. This weekly email is called the Monday News. This is sent out every Sunday evening, Beijing Standard Time, and it includes a complete recap of all the new content that's been added to the website, as well as the up-to-date podcast and everything that's happening on the platform. This way you don't miss anything. You get it all in one place, one email once a week. We don't spam and we send you really high quality content to ensure that you're staying up to date with everything that's happening in emerging markets around entrepreneurship and blockchain technology. The last thing that you need to do is if you enjoy listening into the Rare Birds Emerging Markets podcast, please rate it on your favorite podcast platform. This way we can continue to grow our family of rare ones around the globe. All right, folks, that's it for me. Continue to stay rare. And until next time, bye for now.